This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hey guys, welcome to episode 269 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy, since we are getting ready to leave tomorrow for St. Augustine, I thought it would be fitting to do a St. Augustine story this week. Makes sense. There are a few tickets left. I think there's five for the St. Augustine uh, live event that we're doing with History Goes Bump. You heard the, the little ad for it right before then. So uh, if you want to snag your tickets, go ahead and do it. We're doing this at uh, Beecher's Resort, so we're going to be right on the beach. Not like physically like sitting in the sand telling stories. So that would be cool. That would be cool. So anyways, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all of you for everything you do every day. Yes, God bless you guys, and thank you for watching over us and keeping us safe. We pray for you all every single day, and please come home soon. All right. I'm reading a lot of stuff, Tracy, especially in the group, especially um, just on Facebook in general from friends, family. A lot of people are going through stuff right now. Mm -hmm. It's just it's, it's just a thousand different scenarios. Everybody's situation is different. Sometimes it's medical. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's employment. But it's tough on a lot of people right now, uh, mentally as well as physically. A lot of people talk about physical health, but mental health is extremely important to focus on as well. And we want to let anybody who's listening know talking can help so much, more than you'll ever realize. And if you don't think you've got somebody to talk to, you're completely wrong because we are here anytime, night or day, seven days a week. If you need to talk, we're here. And we've that's one of the reasons why we've turned the group into a self-help group. You got 5,200 people from all around the world that are always there to listen to you and offer advice or just lend an ear if that's what you need. Yeah, that's that's such a, a great group to be having, you know, to reach out to. And we're just so proud of the group and 
you know, like Jerry said, we're always here for you guys and we'll get through this. So just give us a call. Um, if you would rather call the hotline, it's 1-800-273-8255. You can also text them at 741-741, but you guys are not alone. All right, Tracy. So we've only been through St. Augustine one time. Mm-hmm. And that was unexpected because if you remember, we were on the other side of Florida, on the Gulf side. Yep. And we just decided, hey, let's take an extra day and go through there. And it was awesome. and we But we only had one meal. And it was a fantastic restaurant. But when we were asking people where to eat, Diane's student, obviously, from History Goes Bump, said you got to eat at Harry's Seafood because not only was it a great restaurant to eat at because of the food, but it was also haunted. Nice. But. The win-win for me. It was also kind of far away from from where we were in the time that we had. So we didn't get a chance to eat at Harry's. So I thought we'll probably eat there now because we're going to be down there a couple of days. We'll eat there at some point in time. Probably with Diane and... and uh, Kelly? Well, I was getting there. Oh, you were going so slow. <laughs> but yeah, we'll probably, we'll probably be eating at some point. That's exciting. There, I there can't with wait. Them. But I thought we would do our story this week on Harry's Seafood Bar and Grill. Oh, okay. Great. All right. So let's listen about this place. So the food there, first of all, is a mixture of of Cajun and Creole, which wow. I wouldn't have guessed that. I thought it was just going to be your mm-hmm. typical. And also found out that the people who started this, uh, the original people, they actually uh, had opened up, I think, in Jacksonville, Florida. And they've had a restaurant there since like 1928. Oh, it didn't come. It didn't come to St. Augustine until much later. Mm-hmm. But it's been, they've been out and about for a long time. They Good had like for them. Five, five or six locations. So Good for them. So the actual restaurant started with brothers Greg and Lewis, I think it's SAIG, S-A-I-G, in 1995 in this location. But the building at 46, I'm going to get my, see if I can get my Spanish in here, in Abanita Menendez that houses the restaurant has quite the history. So existing records for this building go back to the, to 1800. But the original house we know was built around 1745. This is a very old building, obviously. The original owners of the house was Juan Nabarro, who was born in St. Augustine in 1729, and his wife, Francisco de Porras. They built the house on what was then Bay Street. They raised nine children in that house. Dang. One of the children, Catalina who was either the youngest or the second youngest, was born in the house at 1753. She lived there for the first 10 years of her life. Then, when Spain relinquished the ownership of Florida to the British, the family moved to Cuba, which was right around October 28, 1763. The only member of the family to ever return back to the United States was Catalina. Now, she had a very strong attachment to her childhood home. And in 1770, she married Josef Javier Ponce de Leon in Cuba. In 1784, Spain once again gained possession of Florida. And Catalina decided that her and her husband were going to move back to St. Augustine so she could reclaim her old home. Problem was, though, the British... In the, in the meantime, the time they were gone, had seized the house and it had been vacant for the 20 years 
since they had been gone, but it was now property of the royal family. Oh. It was now storage for sailors who worked in the bay. So, Josef and, and Catalina petitioned the governor, uh, Governor Quesadilla at the time. That's not right. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I'm sorry. His name <laughs> is Governor Quesada. It was close. So I was just getting ready to say I your just, Spanish was on I, fleek I just today. don't want anybody saying, oh, he's making fun of Mexicans' names. <laughs> oh, just, my gosh. Because that's not the case. It it looks the same. And if you've ever read my writing, you no, would see. you can't read his writing. Believe me. But anyway, they petitioned Governor Quesada to recover the house. And he did, but not for another five years. Oh. So it's five years later. But apparently they had red tape even back then with the bureaucracy and the government. Mm. And, yeah, it sounds like. By the time she moved back into the home, Catalina was 36 years old. And unfortunately, she would die six years later. So oh she didn't no. get to spend much time in the home. Dang on it. The Great Fire of 1887 that swept through much of St. Augustine destroyed the house. Completely destroyed it. Luckily, a gentleman by the name of John Horton, an artist, had done a series of sketches back in 1840. So that was uh, 47 years earlier. They were able to use these sketches to rebuild the house on its original foundation, and it was built to original Spanish uh, specifications. That's amazing. Good for them. Many people lived in this house all the way up to when it became Puerta Verde Restaurant. It then became the Chart House. It then became Catalina's and eventually Harry's in 1995. Rick Worley was the manager or the owner for about 10 years during that stretch. So mm-hmm. I, I think he apparently, I think he sold it to Harry's, but I think he owned it before him. But he owned it or managed it for, for a good 10 years straight. He said that they used to do all their own laundry, like their tablecloths, napkins, uniforms, and stuff like that. The laundry was in the back room of what they would do is they would put the laundry in during the day and the prep cooks would kind of keep an eye on it on the washer and dryer Mm -hmm. as they were doing stuff. Well, one of these occasions, Lynn, who was one of his employees, she yelled for him to get back there as quick as possible because there was a fire in a laundry basket. In the basket? That's what she said. He rushes back to see, you know, what the deal was. Well, when he gets to the back room, the laundry basket that contained clean and dry tablecloths and napkins were smoldering. He said there were no chemicals of any type around. There were no cigarettes or anything hot enough that could have caused a fire. He said there was absolutely no way possible that a fire could have started, but there it was. Yeah, very bizarre. He said nothing like that had ever happened afterwards, but there were several unexplained events that happened in the restaurant. Back when the restaurant was the chart house, Rick had a local family come in and do cleaning that would happen sometime between the time that they closed and they opened the next day. So it wasn't always the same time, as long as it was done in between the time. Yeah. He was happy with it. One of the members of the cleaning crew had several encounters while cleaning the ladies' room up on the second floor. She would see a woman in a long white dress, almost like a wedding dress, out of the corner of her eye. When Anne would turn back to look at her, she would suddenly disappear. On one occasion, Anne saw the woman walk right through a restroom door. (laughs) 
I want to do that just once. You could try it. I could, but I don't want to now. It'll hurt. <laughs> I say we try it right now. We'll just take the microphone in there, and we'll just—they <laughs> won't be able to—they won't be able to see it, but they'll be able to hear it. <laughs> Mark, who cleaned up during the daytime, he approached Rick one day and he said, "You're going to think I'm crazy, but on the second floor near the ladies' room, I've been smelling this woman's perfume. It's so strong that it almost stinks." Rick laughed because Ann and several others had been noticing that for years. <laughs> Mark was new, and he had never heard any of the stories. Oh, gosh. He's in for an awakening. Right. right. One time, Rick was planning to do an inventory, and he would normally do his inventories early in the morning. So it was about 5 a.m. Ann was still in there cleaning, but she was on a break. She was sitting on a bench drinking some coffee, eating some muffins. A blueberry muffin, if I understand correctly. Oh, nice. I like to be specific. All about details. She heard the patio door open, and she assumed it was Rick coming in. So she yelled out to Rick. She's like, hey, why are you here so early? No answer. Mm-hmm. None yet. She, she got up. She walked to the patio door to see who it was. And she said the door was kind of shaking a little bit. And she saw a lady in a white dress standing there. The lady looked at Ann and then passed through the door and disappeared. She didn't ask for any muffin? Apparently not. I don't think, I think she may have left the muffin behind when she came to the store. <laughs> I don't know. That'd be scary. You'd be surprised what people leave out of this research. Yeah. Rick eventually, you know, wound up coming in, but it was about an hour later. So the building has three floors, all of which have been subjected to paranormal activity. Rick's office, as a matter of fact, is up on the third floor. One of the waitresses, by the name of Mary Kate, I don't think it was Mary Kate Ashley. That's Olson. probably a good thing. Uh, it wouldn't want the Olsen quiz. One of the one of the waitresses, Mary Kate, she worked part-time here, but she also went to school. And she was allowed sometimes to stay late and use the computer or the copier for her schoolwork. One evening after Rick had completed his inventory, he was at his desk working on the calculator, putting in some numbers. And out of the corner of his eye, he saw a flash of white pass behind him going towards the copier. So naturally, he thought it was Mary Kate. He says, hey, Mary Kate, but he didn't get a response. So he yells again, Mary Kate. He gets up from his desk. He goes over to the copy machine. There was nobody there. He checked both of the other floors. And there was no one in the entire building other than him. Mm. He locked up and left without going back to his office on the third floor. That's what I would have done. <laughs> Another occurrence that was pretty common is for the lights to come back on after they'd been turned off. One night, Rick, a young woman named Tracy, and a waiter had all left the, the store at the same time. Tracy was the last one leaving the door. So she had to lock it, and as she was getting ready to lock the door, she noticed that some of the lights were still on throughout the building, and she knew these were lights that she had actually turned off herself. She told her, turns to Rick and the waiter, and she's like, hey, there's some lights on, and they swear that they didn't go back into any of those rooms and flip the lights on, so, of course, like they weren't going to own up to it anyway, but they did. <laughs> yeah. So she goes back in and turns them all off. What's more strange, though, is that there's actually been times when candles have been lit after everybody has left the house. It's all about ambiance. I guess so. 
Now, Rick's wife, Gloria, she's went on record to say that there's a fireplace that spontaneously starts, and she's had this happen to her several times, after it's been cold all night long, there's no ashes and no hot embers, but it just starts up on its own. Wow. Most of the activity in the restaurant centers in one main location. And I will tell you about that right after a quick break from our sponsor. Most of the activity, though, centers around the ladies' room up on the second floor. Four young ladies were visiting from Virginia Beach that came in for lunch. They were asking their server, by the name of Lance, about the ladies' room. They'd heard the rumors. He told them that they should probably come back for dinner because there was a lot more activity in the evening. Oh, okay. My guess is he's probably wanting a second tip. There you go. That's my guess. I think he called it. So the young ladies get back to their hotel room. They talk it over. Two of them decide that, you know what, I don't really want any part of this. The other two, though came back to the restaurant. They went up. They had Lance again, by the way, as their server. Mm-hmm. So I guess that, that did work out. They decided to go into the ladies' room. They went in four or five different times. Nothing. So Lance suggested, jokingly, I'm sure, hey, maybe you should hold a seance. Well, he went off to wait on his other tables. And he said when he came back up, to check on the girls, they were actually on the balcony, visibly shaking. <laughs> One of them had a red handprint on her upper arm. Apparently, Catalina was not in a good mood. Apparently not. Now, they said usually there's not any type of a physical attack. But, but on this night... Apparently, there was some physical attacks. Usually, it's just more of a fun, pranky type stuff. For example, there is a stack of tissues that are usually laying on the counter. One of the waiters will check on the ladies' room every few hours to make sure the stuff's in working order and clean, neat, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, on this occasion, a young lady by the name of Melissa went in, and she found that the tissues were just kind of scattered all over the counter. She didn't really think anything of it. She straightened them up, put them back where they needed to go, and she went back to work. She came back two hours later, and they were all scattered all over the counter again. She said this happened to her on two different occasions, not just mm-hmm. the two from that night. Oh, different But it days. happened on other days where she's went in. So if it happened to her, it's probably happened to others. Yeah, I'm sure. Back when the restaurant was called Catalina's, Jason, who was a longtime employee, would see Catalina frequently. There was a mirror that was in the upstairs waiter station. He said he would just be sitting there and you could see the image of a woman in a white dress in that mirror. He said when he would turn around and look straight at her, she would always disappear. That's kind of cool. He got to see her like that. He would also see her going down the hallways of the second floor. And he said that the the wait staff would actually hear her after hours when it was really quiet. He said the experiences were not frightening to him, but he would kind of get chills on occasion. He said he saw her a few times a week, but he never ran down the stairs screaming Mm -hmm. or anything (laughs) when he saw her. When he didn't see her, he said he kind of missed her. Oh, that's nice. He said she was very friendly, but the strange thing was he never saw her face and he would have liked to. 
Hmm. That's nice. They had a good rapport. I bet the girls from Virginia Beach would beg to differ with him on the friendly part. No, I'm sure. <laughs> Catalina is not the only spirit to haunt the restaurant, though. Several guests and employees have spotted a man dressed in an old-fashioned black suit from around the turn of the 19th century. One customer asked her server, Hey, who's that man over in the uh, funny black suit on the far side of the, of the room? Well, when they both turned around to look, the man was gone. Mm -hmm. He's usually seen near the wine case, which is actually downstairs. A server says she saw him downstairs. He was walking toward the wine case. She kind of followed him. And he went around a, a corner towards the, wild, the wine case. She went around the corner. But when she turned the corner, he was no longer there. Mm -hmm. and, That's the way it goes. And no way he could have gotten out. Mm-hmm. So maybe he just likes a lot of wine. I don't know. Hey. So who is this man? Well, stories from the past mention a man who died in the 1887 fire that was never identified. In 1993, a woman was researching her family tree, and she told Rick that her grandpa used to live in that house. This was around 1700, and the building was empty, and it was in probate. The family uh, who actually owned it, they sent this man from Ohio to live in it so it wouldn't just be sitting in Yeah. He's a very sickly man, and his doctor thought that the Florida weather would be a really good fit for him. Obviously, the doctor didn't know what he was talking about because the man died in the house a short time after he arrived. <laughs> well, that sucks. So, could this be the man? Could be. No, who knows? He's probably like, dude, I mean, I was here two weeks. Give me a break. I'm going to have to hang around. Several psychics and mediums and paranormal investigators have all visited the place. In 1993, they changed the name based on a suggestion from Catalina's to Catalina's Garden hoping that that would make Catalina happy. That's a pretty name. For a time, there was a little less activity, but it soon picked right back up again. On April Fool's Day, 2004, Lance went upstairs to the linen room. He was trying to get some more napkins. He saw a lady in a white dress. He immediately ran down the stairs to tell his buddy, who worked there as a waiter also by the name of Wes, hey, there's a ghost up there. Come look. And Wes was like, uh, April Fool's. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, no, seriously, there is a ghost up there. <laughs> so he eventually talks Wes into going up there, and Wes sees the ghost, too. I'm surprised it was still there. Yeah, could, most of the time, as yeah. soon as you just look at them, they're gone. Yeah. Now this one lingered around. It was like, wait, he probably hey, asked him. Hey, look at me. He probably like, hey, can you hold on for a minute? I'm going to my buddy Wes. <laughs> yeah, but hurry up. I'm on a tight schedule. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've got to haunt the hallway at three, and uh, <laughs> I'm supposed to be in the library at four. And I already missed the last time I was supposed to be in the library. So, yeah, it could have been a whole scenario. Rick says that some people don't believe in ghosts, but to him, there's no question. He said, I, I would be the first to say that there is definitely a ghost here, but it's a friendly ghost or ghost. It's not, you know, scaring the hell out of you. But there is definitely yeah. something here. That's so cool. Anyway, that's our story. Nice. And as usual, I forgot to mention at the beginning that we, <laughs> we have a special guest interview, Marianne Farley, who actually helps out with the uh, 
old hospital on College Hill in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a place we're eventually going to make it out to. But uh, she's she's got some cool stories from her time there since she's yeah. been helping out there. Absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break. And then uh, we'll come back with just a, uh, some quick news and stuff. And then we'll have our interview with Marianne telling you some cool stories about the old hospital. Ooh. All right, guys. Real quick, I'm again, since it's coming up uh, this coming weekend, we do have a few tickets left in St. Augustine. That's for the, the St. Augustine Lighthouse Investigation, which will be pretty cool. And for the live event, you could do one or the other, or you could do both. If you live in the area, I would advise you to, to come check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, it should be fun. And you can get tickets at hillbillyhorrorstory.com. But we'll have, uh, all, I know the shows are going to have merchandise, and I'll have books, and we'll have t-shirts, and air fresheners, and stickers, and all that stuff there. And a bunch of LU Cateco stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll, and a bunch of other events are going on. Dallas is, is coming up real soon. Uh, Memphis. All that's coming up within a month now, so... Tickets and information to those events are all on the website. Tracy, what do you got on us over there as far as our Patreon and stuff? Um, we have Tabby Cat, Donna, and I, I put Mojo Lobster, and he hasn't really left one yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're recording this a couple of days early because but, we're going to be leaving. And he uh, never lets us down, so I just went ahead and included him in there because <laughs> we love you so much. Um, and our Patreon is Robin Martinez and Alicia Reardon. Thank you guys for your patronage. We appreciate y'all so much. We love the reviews. Well, most of them. And uh, 90% of them, anyway. 99%. Yeah, 99% of them. And uh, But we want you to keep them coming if you can, because we love that you take your time out to do that for us. And we appreciate y'all so, so much. Awesome. And remember... If you join Patreon for a dollar a month, you get four bonus episodes, four little mini bonus episodes, but you also get all of the shows we do ad-free. Yeah. So, so for people who complain about the ads, yeah, you, for a dollar a month, you can get all the shows with no ads. And we're putting out six episodes a week now. So yeah, that's a, a lot bunch. on top of the, the bonus episode. So, all right, let's listen to Marianne Farley. Hey guys, I am excited because I get to bring on a longtime friend of the show and, and a friend to us, not just the show, because uh, she is has really become somebody special to, to Tracy and I for a thousand different reasons. Mary Ann Farley, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you, but you're going to make me cry, but thank you very much for having me. Mary Ann, we had you on uh, a while back, you and Tanya. Because Tanya had bought the old hospital on College Hill, and they were just starting to open up at that time. And they had had Destination Fear out there to do, uh, uh, I think it was their season finale, if I remember correctly. Yes, back in December. And uh, things are starting to really kind of go right now. It's been uh, like any place, It's you, when it's just starting out, you got to get the word out. And yeah. so you've come back on the show because... You've now had several months of being out there and you've had some experiences start to pile up and you're going to tell us a little bit about some of those experiences out at the old hospital in College Hill in West Virginia. Yes. 
Uh, we're located in Williamson, West Virginia. And like Tony always likes to say, we're the newbies in the paranormal world. And any thumps you might hear, those are my cats. But um, we're the newbies in the paranormal world um, because we've just been open since March for paranormal tours and things like that. And the hospital was built back in 1928. So it's been around for a while, the building has and things like that and I have had the opportunity to help out with tours and help out with different things we've got lots of things planned you know in the future in the hospital and stuff like that but I have witnessed some things some different things have happened and I've had a real interesting experience that happened to me back in July that I want to talk about and I can't prove that it was anything paranormal, but it was definitely very interesting and it kind of seems to be continuing. So I want to talk about that. Okay. Back in July, uh, there was one week where I was kind of in charge of the hospital. The owners were out of town and I was in charge for the events going on there and stuff like that. And with their okay, you know, I was able to go in there you know, and, and if I wanted to just look around or investigate a little bit and stuff like that. It was a Thursday night, me and my husband went in there and we went and we ate a little bit. And then we had some things we were going to take up to the second floor uh, to the supply room to to put away. And when uh, it took several trips because the elevator is not working right now. That's something that we want to get going here soon. So we had to take them up the stairs. And I have three keys for the hospital on my regular, and I've got my keys, so I have like lots of keys. <laughs> but I had three keys to the hospital on this keychain, which Tanya gave it to me afterwards, um, on my regular keys. And uh, there was a key for the supply room and a key to the main door and then a key for the bathrooms. And then, so it took us several trips to get things up to the second floor and I opened up the, um, the supply room. And then... And at one point, I stuck the keys down in my back pocket, and some of them were hanging out and stuff like that. Well, as we were doing this, we were going up the stairs, I looked down, and there was an old key on the stairs going up to, on the first floor there, going up to the second floor. And so I'd never noticed it before. And, you know, I thought, well, that's weird that this key is here. So I picked it up. And I put it near there. There's like an open door with like a countertop. Like it looked like a nurse's station or something. So I put the key there. And so as we're going up and down the stairs and we're putting things and my keys are in my back pocket, I didn't think anything about it. And I left the key there. I took a picture of it because I thought, well, you know, maybe it'll be moved or something. And uh, we got everything up there and got everything in the room. I locked the room back and then I'm turning off the lights and I go to, uh, to lock the front door and I pull my keys. There's just two keys on my key ring. The key to lock the front door is gone. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, it's falling off. And so, you know, Brian says, well, go in there and get that key you found. And I knew it wasn't the key, but I ran back in and got it and brought it out and and tried it. And it wasn't, of course, the key. So then I'm in the car going through my bag, dumping everything out, going through my pockets. And I thought, I have to go back in the hospital. And the first floor and the stairs are all tile. And I'm going back in there with my flashlight. And I thought, well, if there's anything on... If it fell on the floor, I would have heard it. 
if it fell on the stairs, I would have heard it. Now, the second floor and the third floor are carpet. I thought, it's up there. I'm going to have to go up there, and I'm going to have to look all over for this key because I have to have it. And so I'm going down the hall and just panning with my flashlight, and I turn to go up the stairs, and that key was laying where I found that old key. <laughs> and so I pick it up, and I run out, and I'm very happy, and I lock the door. And so, and Brian says, well, and I tell him where I found it. And he said, well, that's where you found that old key. And I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and so, so I don't know what happened there. And like I messaged Tanya and she had never seen an old key there or anything like that. And so the days I was in there for the next few days and I'm apologizing to everybody in the hospital, all the spirits, you know, if I bothered your key, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was in there on, uh, so that was on a Thursday night and I was in there Friday and really nothing like that happened with keys. I was in there on Saturday, the following Saturday and I had taken my keys and put them in a fanny pack that way nothing could fall out. I pull my keys out and this keychain from the old hospital was not on my key ring. It, it, it was just down in the fanny pack uh, off of the key chain. So I don't know. I mean, none of that can be proven. It's just really weird. Well, then after all that and us thinking, what is this? What's, what's going on? Just a few weeks ago, we had an escape room on Friday the 13th. We had an escape room with Jason on Friday the 13th. We had somebody dressed up like Jason on the floor, and you had to go in and solve clues. And we, we you had to solve like 13 clues. And then if you could escape the two floors without him locking you, the group in a room, you, you survive. And we had, we had three groups and we had one group survive and two groups that didn't. And when we were setting up the clues, Tanya had planned to put the, uh, one of the clues at the end of the first floor hallway, right past the elevator in this wooden box on in the wall that was like a where the fire extinguisher went and we opened it up to put the put one of the clues in there and there was like two more keys and tanya said those were not there earlier she said i i i, I opened that up earlier and those were not there and so we don't know what's going on with keys, but that's something definitely that I've kind of experienced at the hospital. And it's something that we, we moved those keys and we're kind of watching them and stuff like that. But that's just something that um, some people might think, well, that, that's not paranormal anything, but it's definitely really weird. If anybody's ever had any experiences like that, I would love to hear from people uh, for me the scariest part of that whole story is the fact that you use a fanny pack well i didn't want to lose the keys <laughs> that's the only reason i didn't want to lose the keys and, and that may be something i have to do from now on is make sure they're down in something if some if something is because i've had experiences too with keys at the school that I used to work at, uh, one time I, I lost keys and, and they were found, I mean, I, they were gone over the whole weekend 
and they were found the following Monday in the library, and I hadn't went in the library that day. And I don't know if there's just something about me and keys or what. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about the old hospital in a little bit, but I want to bring up something else. You volunteer your time at a lot of these paranormal conventions and yeah. other conventions, not just paranormal, but you have been able to be with some pretty cool people for extended periods of time. As a matter of fact, you were the one that got us to hook up and got Kim Russo on the show, which is one of my all-time favorite interviews. We had some sound difficulties. I would love to get Kim back on at some point in time. Hint, hint. Uh, so well, the next time I talk to her, I'll mention it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I still got Anthony's phone number, her husband, which he usually sets everything up, but I didn't want to just randomly text him one day after two years. But let's talk about some of the people you've had the uh, experiences, uh, experience to be able to stay with at their booth. So you've done Ghost Brothers, correct? I was at the booth beside of them. Oh, okay. So I don't know you were with Tango. I was, yeah, I was with Stephen Tango uh, two years ago. And I have, I got to spend time with Dee Wallace, which was uh, from, from e, the mom from E.T. and from Cujo. She was definitely a sweetheart. Nice. And you've had, you've, you get Kim usually, Kim Russo typically requests you most of the time, doesn't she? Yeah. The three times she's been in Lexington, I've been with her every time. <laughs> so Nice. What other conventions have you worked? Um, I have worked, I did a Wizard World the last time it was in Louisville. I helped plan a couple of little conventions back back here in eastern Kentucky. One's called Wilcon that we put on in Wimpson. And I work with one in Pikeville called a Pikeville Comic Con and stuff. And at Pikeville Comic Con two years ago, I got to sit with um uh, Roger Bumpus, who is the voice of Squidward, and he is, <laughs> I love him. He's so fun <laughs> and stuff. And then, of course, I work with Scarefest, and I have just started. This year, I'm going to be volunteering at the Lexington Comic Con, so that's something new for me. Nice. Now, do you have any idea who you're going to be with at Scarefest yet? No, not yet. So, well, it's really cool. And you do a great job, which is which is why these places love having you. You're the quintessential professional when it comes to doing this. So I, it doesn't surprise me, Kim, that would always ask for you when she comes here. Well, thank you. All right. So let's go back to the, the hospital. Tell people real quick how they can be a part of the hospital. Tell them a little bit about what they can do if they visit any kind of investigations that could, done, could be done, just regular people showing up. What all goes on at the hospital? Okay. The old hospital on College Hill, you can find us on any of the social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. It's the old hospital on College Hill. It also, we have a website, the old college on hospitalhill.com. We have flashlight tours in September and October. We're going to be opening up for some different things. We have some children's activities in September, some flashlight tours and things like that. And some painting uh, activities with a local artist, Kim McClanahan. And then in October, well, also in September, which I will say this, but I think it this is completely booked up. We are going to have a very friend of Williamson, friend of the hospital, Tony Moran, who was oh. the original Michael Myers in, in the Halloween movies. 
he is going to be back for his third time to Wimp send him to the hospital. And he is going to be marrying people at the old hospital on College Hill in September. That's awesome. Yeah. And so he 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 will be there doing that and and step. I think most of those are booked up, but we will be doing that. So th- those are things like in the future. You know, if that works out, that you know next year, you know, people might want to. We'd be doing things like that in October. I know we have some public ghost hunts, and uh, we have near around Halloween. We have, uh, we're, we're not really planning any kind of haunted uh, events in the location, but we're going to do some tours of the hospital and then there and kind of bus people to a local cemetery where one of the founders of the hospital is buried, Dr. Dr. Salton. He is buried there and we are going to got, combine that. Uh, with the hospital and the cemetery and do some tours like that and we always have overnight it is available for overnight tours uh, for for people and for groups that want to do that you know they can just uh, call you know message you know the the hospital and set that up awesome Marianne thanks so much for coming on and sharing some stories with us well thank you very much for having me all right well Guys, I will talk to you soon, and you'll probably see Marianne around. All right, so thanks to Marianne for coming on and sharing those stories with us. She's only been there a short time, and she's already having experience. You know, she seems to be lucky that way. Yeah. I feel like, I guess they call it lucky, (laughs) I guess. I'm sure she thinks it's lucky. I think, you know. Some people would be freaked out. She is such a sweetheart, too. and She she, Oh, my gosh, she is the sweetest. And, you know, if, if that's what she would like for to happen, I'm glad it happens to her. Marianne, actually, I don't... She's been on the show before with Tanya, who is co-owner of the location. and But I don't, I don't know if she mentioned it there, uh, or I can't, to be honest with you, I can't remember if she mentioned it in, in this interview, but she was a school teacher, and she actually retired from school teaching to do this kind of full-time. I know, and that, that's crazy. So, Good she for was, her. She was at the Louisville show, so some Dude, people probably you only live got once. a chance to meet her. Go for it. But, yeah, she lives not too, too far from us, an hour or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've had the experience to be able to meet up a whole bunch of times. Oh, I know. Her. She's the sweetest. She always comes to the show. And her so. daughters are very talented. Oh, artists. my gosh. Yes, she is so talented. Very, very good. Well, Tracy, you got to learn a little bit about a haunted restaurant that I'm sure we will be spending some time in. And it's got a haunted ladies room, so you'll be able to indulge in that. Well, um, I am looking forward to going to that bathroom. As well as having Kelly um, and Diane go with me as well. So, <laughs> so you're going to drag them along. I'm dragging them with me because <laughs> I, I, I love my girls, so I know they got me. <laughs> but yeah, we can hopefully experience that together. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon, and, and uh, we'll be seeing you in St. Augustine. Can't wait, guys. Oh, and I almost forgot, we are going to, on our way down, and we're going to stop in in Charleston for a couple of days, mm-hmm. and on Tuesday night, we're going to be taking a ghost tour with our buddy Nick McGurr from Stories in the Cemetery, and then the next night, we're taking a tour with Mike Brown from Yay. Pleasing Terrors. It'll so, be so great to see Mike. It's been so long. Yep, it'll be a blast, and we're going to get eat at Pugin's Porch. <laughs> I, <laughs> Why is that funny? I don't know. I thought you were going to say not Pugin's Porch. 
<laughs> don't ask me. I thought you was going to say, hey, we're going to be pooping after that or something. I don't know where I thought you were going with that. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you soon.